Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'll go 12 on the confidence scale right now of my Cowboys beating those Eagles on Sunday night. Here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 91. In honor of Dennis Rodman, who accomplished more in the NBA with less talent than any player who ever played at only six feet, seven inches tall. Dennis Rodman became the greatest below-the-rim rebounder in basketball history. Seven straight years, he led that league in rebounding. That was two years with Detroit, two with my San Antonio Spurs, three with the Chicago Bulls teams featuring that guy up in Chicago that I covered. Dennis Rodman had little to no offensive skill shot 58% career from the free throw line, yet he made somehow two all-star teams. And Dennis Rodman won five rings, all while leading the league year after year after year in outrageous behavior. Only Dennis Rodman would choose to wear number 91 in the NBA. But this, as always, is the un-undisputed everything I cannot share with you during the two-and-a-half-hour debate show that is undisputed. Today, I will tell you why. On a confidence scale of 1 to 10, I'm at an 11 that my Cowboys will beat the Eagles. Today, I will walk you back through my history of covering so many great Cowboys-Eagles games in Philly, in Dallas, I'll take you behind the scenes of all my most and least favorite moments. I will answer several of your probing, provocative questions about how exactly I wake up every single weekday morning at 2 a.m., on how soon Ernestine and I put up our Christmas tree, And breaking news, what I splurged on when Ernestine took me out for dinner on my birthday. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. Let's start with one of your questions, shall we? This is Milan from New Jersey who asks, if the Cowboys lose Sunday, is their season over? Milan. Forgive me, man, but I refuse to deal with that hypothetical. 
we are not going to lose Sunday night at Jerry World. I know. I, I know what everybody out there is saying. Any given Sunday, blah, 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 blah. I've said this from the start of this NFL season. The Cowboys are just better than the Eagles. I get it. We lost at Philadelphia. But you could see with your own two eyes, some people think I have three, you can see it with your own eye test. The Cowboys were just better than the Eagles that night in Philadelphia. In the fourth quarter alone, Dak Prescott threw for 173 yards to Jalen Hurts' grand total of three yards in the fourth quarter alone. But no, you got me. You're right. Dak stepped out of bounds. Got to stay in bounds. I've heard that on a commercial somewhere here recently. Got to stay in bounds. My rookie tight end, why are we throwing to the rookie tight end at the goal line? I don't know. His knee came down one inch short of pay dirt. Got to score a touchdown. You got me on that. But I still say, as I said before the season, the Eagles' defense is being wildly overrated, and I don't understand it. I'm going on the record, up front, no strings attached, calling out the Eagles' defense. I'm risking dooming myself by calling out the Eagles' defense. We scored 40 on pretty much that same Eagles' defense just last Christmas Eve in this same stadium in which this game will be played on Sunday night. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't heard me say this 59 times on Undisputed, my team has now turned Jerry World into a home field advantage as opposed to the disadvantage it was for years and years and way too many years. Disadvantage because it was America's stage not really featuring America's team. It featured all kinds of concerts and Final Fours and big boxing matchups and UFC fights and on and on and on and on. It it was the world stage. It didn't really belong to my Cowboys. Rival teams used to come into Jerry World like it was their stage, their time to shine on Jerry's international stage. Days are gone. Those days are over. We own our own stage now. 14 straight games we've won at home. 14 by an average score of 37 to 18. We are annihilating the opposition, the visitors who dare to walk into our stadium that we now own. 37 to 18, I mean, you're getting close to scoring 40 a game while holding opponents under 20 a game. That's extraordinary. I don't care who the competition is. All I hear from Keyshawn Johnson, Richard Sherman on Undisputed is, you've played nobody. Trust me on this. The NFL doesn't have any nobodies. Everybody's got some to a lot of talent. 
Some teams don't have a quarterback, but they have lots and lots of talent, and we annihilate all of those teams. I still say it was highly impressive on opening night when the Giants were whole, a division rival that made the playoffs last year and won a playoff game on the road at Minnesota, won a playoff game. I think most people, most experts, thought the Giants would make the playoffs this year. It's a wild card team, be in the mix. We beat them 40 to nothing when they were a whole on opening night. 40 to nothing in their stadium. That's firepower. Most explosive team in the league is my team on offense and defense and special teams. My team. The Eagles' defense has plummeted to 24th in points allowed. I'm not making that up. I'm not exaggerating. That's not a phony stat. That's a real, live, take-it-to-your-bank stat. Coupled with the fact that even though my defense gave up 35 to Geno Smith playing the game of his life the other night at Jerry World, we still won the game. My defense is still hanging in at number four in points allowed. So the Eagles' defense is 24th, and my defense is fourth in points allowed. While my offense, I don't know if anybody's noticed except me, it now leads the entire league in points scored. Average points per game, 32.3 for the Dallas Cowboys, eclipsing even Tyreek and Tua and the Miami Dolphins? Are you kidding me? Wait, we got the number one offense in the league going up against the defense that has allowed the 24th worst points. Why can't anyone see what what I'm seeing? The emperor, as in the Eagles who were in the Super Bowl last year, the emperor has no clothes. Does, Does anybody out there remember or know the story, the emperor has no clothes? Remember what happened in the story? It's a great story. The emperor gets convinced by two shady tailors that they've made him a beautiful new set of clothes. They are so convincing, in fact, that the emperor looks in the mirror and imagines that he is radiating in his new duds. When the truth is, there are no duds at all. The new duds are a complete dud as in null, as in void, the emperor was actually naked. He had no clothes. And yet he was so proud of his new clothes that he went parading through the streets of his kingdom, showing off his quote-unquote new clothes before thousands and thousands of horrified citizens. The king was naked, just as King James is naked when it comes to his phony goat debate versus Michael Jordan, simply the greatest player who ever played any sport. 
who also has the greatest sneaker line in the history of sneakers. But I digress. The emperor, who nearly won last year's Super Bowl, has no clothes. I always try to guess the point spread before it comes out. Just fascinated by it. I'm usually fairly accurate, as my producer Tyler Korn would attest. This time I'm thinking, gee, we're just better than the Eagles. Obviously, they just got blown out at home by the same team that blew us out. This was in Philadelphia, 42 to 19. I'm thinking we'll open at five and a half point favorite, maybe six. Nope. We opened as a three-point favorite. It has now moved up slightly to 3.5 as I tape this. I don't get it. That's not nearly enough. Just look at the last five games. Emperor has no clothes. Eagles have been outscored by the opposition for five straight games. They've trailed at half for five straight games. I I mentioned what happened in the fourth quarter, Dak throwing for 173. But Buffalo, even though it took overtime, rang up 505 yards at Philadelphia on that defense. Then San Francisco managed to gain a minus six yards in the first quarter. Philly had its chances to cash in the red zone, went field goal, field goal. Bad idea. Over the final three quarters, the San Francisco 49ers rang up 462 yards in just three quarters at Philadelphia. Philadelphia is now dead last in allowing opponents third down conversions. Dead last. No close. Kevin Byard they acquired from Tennessee, Salvation Army. Shaq Leonard they acquired this week, cut by Indy, hand me down. Titans had moved on from Byard. He's a nice player, but is he changing life in Philadelphia as we speak? I think not. The Colts flat-out cut Shaq Leonard because he was coming off two back surgeries last year. Just wasn't nearly himself this year. They deactivated him on November 26th and basically told him, you'll probably be deactive the whole rest of this year. He didn't like it. He spoke out against it made some waves, and they said thank you, but no thank you, and they cut him. I'll give you this. The Cowboys kicked his leaky tires for a moment. They had him in for a day. They shrugged. They weren't going to pay him any more than minimum. They didn't really need him except for linebacker depth. That is a problem my team faces, but depth only, not starters, depth. Philadelphia is desperate. They jumped on Shaq. He has a great relationship with Nick Sirianni, who was their 
coordinator in Indianapolis for three of Shaq's great years, but they're down Zach Cunningham, or they have been down Zach Cunningham at linebacker, Nicobe Dean at linebacker. They just needed help. Yeah, they won that quote-unquote battle for Shaq Leonard, but I say they're losing the war. I don't know if anybody has noticed, but my Cowboy offense has taken off in ways I never imagined it would. Up from the ashes of 42 to 10 at San Francisco, we have risen. CeeDee Lamb that night at San Francisco got five targets, caught four of them for a grand total of 42 yards. Finally, Mike McCarthy woke up, wised up, and said, maybe we should throw it to 88 early and often, and you have seen the results. CeeDee Lamb is a top five receiver. Even after my man Richard Sherman called him no more than a fringy number one, and my man Keyshawn Johnson said there's just something missing in CeeDee Lamb. I think not. Brandon Cooks has been rediscovered as a deep threat and, for that matter, a red zone threat. He's just a professional receiver who knows how to get open. Jake Ferguson is a mauler of a brawler. I don't miss Dalton Schultz whatsoever. Jake Ferguson makes big catches and then takes them for big runs after catch. He's just a football player. All of a sudden, Tony Pollard is starting to turn back into the Tony Pollard he was pre-career-threatening injury in the playoff game at San Francisco. My offensive line, I got to knock on something that approximates wood here, is healthy. I have two first ballot Hall of Famers in that line. I have a young guard named Tyler Smith who creates commits way too many penalties. But he's one of the best guards in the league. My center is really, really good. Tyler Biotish, top-ranked, top-graded. My right tackle can come and go. Terrence Steele, but the Cowboys love him because the Cowboys paid him in the offseason. I love my offensive line. It pass protects as well as any line in football. Which brings me to the one thing I've been wrong about from the start. I said my team will go only as far as my defense, featuring 11 from heaven. My oh, Micah Parsons will carry my football team. I was wrong about that. My defense is still very good. My offense is great bordering on all-time great. Yeah, you got me. My defense allowed 35 to Geno. My defense never made Geno or the Seattle offense punt. I'm telling you, he played the game of his life. He was throwing laser rockets all night long. You can say that Seattle finally exposed Dron Bland, my young corner opposite a former defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore. Until Gino finally went back to that well once too often. 
it became a dry well for Gino because Duran Bland said, thank you very much. I'll take this one. And if you're not careful, Eagles, he'll take one to the house on you because all he's done is return five interceptions for touchdowns. That's an NFL record. I hope the Eagles go at 26 again and again and again and again because he will eventually make them pay. Speaking of that Eagles offense, and especially Jalen Hurts, do I fear him? Sure I do. I might be his biggest fan. Never forget the moment they drafted him, second round. I tweeted immediately, Eagles just stole Jalen Hurts, who will immediately be better than Carson Wentz. He was, and will ultimately change life in Philadelphia. He has. Jalen Hurts can intangible you to death with his leadership and his key play, playmaking. But this game, Sunday night's game, will be more about tangibles, about real, huge raw firepower talent. The Cowboys are just more talented at the highest levels than the Eagles. So confidence scale one to 10. Well, I I think I just went up to a 12. I'll go 12 on the confidence scale right now of my Cowboys beating those Eagles on Sunday night. Keyshawn keeps warning me on Undisputed. I better be careful. I'm lighting new fire under the Eagles. This is what I've lived with my entire career, especially through my column writing career, heck, through my radio and TV career for that matter. It's what I call self-defeating prophecy. I'm picking one team to beat the other team, and I speak so harshly about the other team that I and predicting we'll lose the game or lose it badly. And I somehow inspire the team I'm picking against to beat the team I'm picking. It happened to me numerous times as a columnist in Dallas. When I, it, Either way, I once picked the, may I use the old term, the Redskins to beat the Cowboys at home on opening night. No, it was Joe Theismann's birthday night. Cowboys threw a party on him, intercepted him five times, and all the Cowboys defensive backs chanted my name after the game, ridiculed me. I deserved it. Flip side was one Redskins visit to Dallas. I picked the Cowboys to win easily. And the Redskins took my name in vain after they beat the Cowboys easily that day in their postgame locker room. I've lived with it. I know it. And this time, I do not fear it. Yeah, maybe I will fire up the Eagles. But remember, all week long, Keyshawn and Richard Sherman have been belittling my Cowboys with all of their no respect, ridicule, with all of their outrageous, borderline blasphemous disrespect. 
they've actually talked worse about my Cowboys than I have talked about the Eagles. Maybe the Cowboys will be equally inspired and the Cowboys are just better than the Eagles. Keyshawn and Richard hate the Cowboys because of me, because I love them so much. I hate the Eagles just because I've always hated the Eagles since I was 10 years old. Does an ounce of me, just like an ounce, fear that Dak Prescott on Sunday night might turn back into Quack Prescott? Quack Prescott as in tossing ducks to the opposition? Maybe maybe one ounce. But Dak Prescott has convinced me he's a new man playing in a new serene comfort zone with a new play caller. I can't believe I'm saying this, but once upon a time, Mike McCarthy had a reputation as maybe the best play caller in the National Football League when he and Aaron Rodgers went to Dallas and won that Super Bowl 13 years ago. I got to tell you, now Mike Mack is back. Now the Dak and Mac attack is taking this league by storm. Dak threw for 173 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Are you kidding me? At Philadelphia, 173. But he stepped out of bounds. You got to stay in bounds. My rookie tight end came down an inch short. Got to hit pay dirt. Those days are gone. Happy days are here again. I'm talking about Jimmy and Jerry kind of days. We are better than the Eagles. We will show you on Sunday night. Cowboys 36, Eagles 20. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Next question. This is Javier from Carlsbad, California. What jersey are you going to wear on Sunday? Javier, I'm honestly not sure. This year, it's been a lot of game time decisions. As you know, I tried number four when Cowboys played at San Francisco. Number four is gone, trashed, out of my life never to be worn again. Maybe I somehow help break that curse. I still have my 21, but it's been rendered obsolete. I have had success this year a couple of times wearing number 11. But those are games we should have won and we did win. I have not tried 88 yet. I've worn it for a post-game picture that 
my wife Ernestine took. It's possible I would try that on Sunday night. I might go back to 11 on Sunday night. It's also very possible I won't wear any jersey on Sunday night. I might just wear any old T-shirt, glance in the drawer and grab one because I'm starting to find what I wear just doesn't matter. Confidence scale of 1 to 10. I'm going to skip 13. I'm going, I'll, I'll go all the way up to 14 right here, right now. Thank you. Next question. This is Lee from Arizona. <laughs> Let's change the subject. Do you immediately get out of bed at 2 a.m. or do you need to snooze? <laughs> Lee, trust me on this. I have never, ever in my life hit snooze on a game day morning. I'm talking about a work morning. Never, ever. I don't snooze for a second. I literally fly out of bed because I have to. Trust me on this. My teammates will back me up on this. I barely make it to air every morning at 6.30 a.m. out here in Los Angeles. Remember, we're starting a half hour earlier than the show I used to do at ESPN. We're a half hour longer than the show I used to do at ESPN when I always got up at 5 to get ready for that show. 5 Eastern time is 2 LA time. Trust me on this. That half hour makes a significant life-changing difference in prep time and in long-term wear and tear on body and mind. That's a half hour a day more for five straight days is two and a half hours more of television to prep for and execute. Week after week after week after relentless week. It's not an easy show to do. I have to be up by two, not a second later because I'm barely going to make it. So the first thing I do before I go to sleep the night before is I always lay out my clothes because I'm not going to have time to go find my clothes and decide on this or that. I lay out first my workout clothes because I'm very quickly going to get on the treadmill or the upright exercise bike. I lay out my workout clothes right, Ernestine's all over me about this. They're right on the floor next to the bed, right on the floor laid out where I can literally throw my legs over the bed, reach down, top, shorts, socks, shoes, because I'm just trying to get awake and I don't want to go groping for workout clothes. Next to those are laid out my go-to-work clothes. I don't have time to search for them in the morning. 
also laid out down to the vitamin D for all of my vitamins all in a row in the kitchen on a counter, all of them. I, I take a lot of vitamins. There must be, I don't know, 20. I should have counted them. I take a lot of vitamins, a lot of supplements all over the counter, all legal, but I take a lot, but they're all laid out in, in a row so that I don't have to grovel and grope for them and search for them. By about 2.05 until maybe 2.25, I stretch and I read the overnight stories, not that I've been away from them very long because I usually only sleep for four to four and a half hours. I always take a nap, hour and a half in the afternoon, but it's still not enough sleep. But I read and stretch until 2.25, and then I hit the treadmill or bike starting at about 2.30 until 3.30. (laughs) It's relentlessly hard on my body. But I love this show more than I've ever loved this show. So even now, as I record this podcast, I'm operating on three and a half hours sleep because this is Wednesday. Last night was Tuesday night. And because of a Laker game with yet another crazy, chaotic, controversial climax, it pushed me later and later against my timeline. And it was so crazy at the finish, I can't just say, okay, it's time to go to sleep. No. I felt like I had played the game when the game ended. I've got my social media to do. I got my prep to do. Got to write a lead for it as I moderate Undisputed. I slept for three and a half hours last night. I'm feeling it as I speak right now, but I can't wait for tomorrow's Undisputed. That's my life. Snooze? No. Every day at 6.20-ish, I literally run from my dressing room all the way up the stairs and down the hall to the studio. I run because I have to. All right. Briefly, I want to take you back through history, my history, back behind the scenes of several of the biggest Cowboys-Eagles games I had the privilege of covering, absorbing, and experiencing from the inside out. Let me take you back through time, back through some of the greatest times of my career. Believe it or not, the first game I covered in Philadelphia did not feature the Cowboys. It featured the Los Angeles Rams because I was working out here out of college, out of Vanderbilt at the Los Angeles Times. And because I was covering the U.S. Open tennis tournament, believe it or not, in New York, and the Rams were playing at the Eagles on September 3rd. This was 1978. 
my sports editor said, why don't you just hop down, maybe take the train down from New York to Philadelphia and cover Rams at Eagles, which I did. That was Pat Hayden at quarterback for the Rams versus my old friend Ron Jaworski as the starting quarterback for the Eagles. A Ron Jaworski I first got to know when he was a Rams quarterback and then got to know him much better when we worked with each other at ESPN low those many years. But the first time I covered a Cowboys at Eagles game was December 10th of 1978, later that year. Much different weather. It was cold. It was dark. It was a dismal December day in Philadelphia. Temperature was in the the 20s, but it was windy. Wind chill was around zero. This was the age of Dick Vermeil in Philadelphia. He had brought new hope to a franchise that won the NFL championship in 1960, even before my time as a football fan. Yet Dick Vermeil had taken over. And even though the, the Eagles had missed the playoffs for 17 straight years, 17 straight years, he had them on the rise with a lot of college rah-rah that the Cowboys all looked down their noses at and sniffed at. Dick Vermeil, college rah-rah. And here came the Eagles. But not yet. Cowboys led that game 24 to 7 after 3 quarters on the way to 31 to 13. I will never forget that locker room. Those Cowboys had a lot of cool customers starting with Roger Staubach at quarterback, but one of my all-time favorite Cowboys Butch Johnson had I guess what you'd call in those days a boom box that he cranked in the locker room, just him, nobody else, just Butch. And when the media was allowed in the locker room, guess what song was playing? (laughs) It was Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. And that's how they felt. And another one, and another one, and another one bites the dust. They had gone into Philadelphia and taken care of business against the college rah-rah Dick Vermeil Eagles. I actually was allowed to ride on the Cowboy team plane home because they had an extra seat, so I typed my column as I sat on their team plane flying back to Dallas. And my lead was, the Cowboy players did not carry Tom Landry off the field on their shoulders after this victory, period. He walked, period. It was a shot at Dick Vermeil. And it was an ode to those Cowboys who were just better than the Eagles, and they knew it. But the Eagles got a little better and a little better. And the next memorable game in Philadelphia came in early January. It was January 11th of 1981. The wind chill was below zero. 
the stadium was literally rocking so hard that in the press box, it was moving at the old vet, as they call it, veteran stadium. It was moving and swaying because the stands were swaying with the energy and emotion of those fans. Tony Hill was the second best Cowboy receiver to Drew Pearson. He couldn't go with a hamstring pull that many of his teammates questioned. I don't know how badly hurt he was, but they questioned it. I love Tony Hill. He was, uh, I've never seen anyone adjust better under a deep ball than Tony Hill out of Long Beach Poly here in LA, where he was a, a great quarterback and then a receiver at Stanford. Graduated early. Smart guy. Maybe not built for below zero wind chill. Cowboys got run off the field that day. Wilbert Montgomery went for 194. They had 263 total rushing yards. Would you believe that Ron Jaworski Jaws, as he was called, that day it is just impossible to throw the football. He went nine for 29 for 91 yards with no touchdowns and two picks, and the Eagles won handily. Won handily. Cowboys were outscored 13 to nothing in the second half. It wound up 20 to seven Eagles. Eagles went on to play in the Super Bowl. That was the NFC Championship game. Lost to Al Davis's Raiders 27 to 10, but they got there. And then how will I ever forget those days of Buddy Ryan coming straight from the 85 Bears, 86 with the Eagles. They went 5-10-1, 7-8, 1989. They were pretty good. Thanksgiving Day at Texas Stadium. They won 27 to nothing after Buddy allegedly put out a bounty on the Cowboy kicker. Luis Zendejas. Anybody who knocks him out of the game gets some extra cash. At least that was the story. Jimmy Johnson was furious. And then came Rich Kotite as the next Eagles coach. Never forget this game. This was a Monday night game, October 9th of 1992, early in what would become the Cowboy dynasty of Troy, Michael, and Emmett. Monday night at the Vet, Randall Cunningham and company had their way. Troy Aikman threw three interceptions that night. It was Eagles 31-7. I will never forget, Norv Turner, the offensive coordinator, pulled me aside in that postgame locker room. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, Let them have this one. We'll get them next time. We'll get them when it matters most. And he was so right about that. Because when it mattered most was in the Cowboys playoff game that year at Dallas. It was Cowboys 34, Eagles 10. Whew. That Cowboys team had arrived. That Cowboys team 
arrived a year before anybody thought it would and broke through that year and won the Super Bowl. And here they came. And then, unfortunately, I will never forget October 10th of 1999 because it was my new teammate, Michael Irvin's last game ever at Philadelphia when he lay injured on the turf as Eagles fans cheered. It's another reason I hate the Eagles. I just do. I'm sorry. I do. Cowboys lost that game 13-10. to The starting quarterback that day for the Eagles was Doug Peterson, believe it or not. Doug Peterson. Deuce Staley ran wild for the Eagles. And that was the last game Michael Irvin ever played at only age 33. I'm hoping the Cowboys can add to their Eagles legacy Sunday night. Cowboys 36, Eagles 20. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Let me take a quick left turn and tell you about my night out, my birthday night out. My wife, Ernestine, wanted to take me out for my birthday. We don't always do that. It was a school night, quote unquote. It was a work night. It was Monday night. She had never been to Mastro's in Beverly Hills. I have. We have ordered out from there once during the pandemic. She liked it a lot. I said, okay, let's go to Mastro's. She set it up, and were they ever great to us? Thank you, Mastro's, for that night. It was very special. But this was a departure for me. This was breaking my mold, my routine. As Ernestine has said on this podcast before, when a question asked her, To describe me in three words, she said, creature of habit. I don't break my habits. I don't go out on school nights, weeknights. She said, oh, come on, live a little just for tonight. I said, okay, I'll try. The reservation was for five o'clock because that's when they open because I've got work to do. And I need to be in bed by 9.30, maybe 10, because I'm still going to get up at 2 a.m. I'm sure Mastro's is still serving close to 2 a.m. if I know them. Our wait person on Monday night was a young lady from Chicago by way of New York. And she was in awe of me because she is in awe of my brother. His name is Rick Bayless. 
He's a famous chef and restaurateur. He's won James Beard Awards for his cooking and his restaurant in Chicago. He has several, but the best is the Topolabampo Room. It is Obama's favorite restaurant. Obama asked my brother in his first term to be the White House chef. My brother learned from our father that absentee ownership just does not work with restaurants. You better be there or it will fail. So my brother said, thank you very much, but no thank you to Obama's offer. But Obama still frequents Topolobampo. My brother still cooks at Topolobampo. Our wait person had been several times to Topolobampo. So I think she wanted to meet me only because I'm his brother. I accept that. Love my brother. Not close to my brother, but I love him and wish him nothing but the greatest. And he is the greatest. So as we're ordering and eating, I've got my phone next to me. And of course, I'm still working because I can't stop because I got to keep up with two NBA games, especially the first game, Celtics at Pacers. And pretty quickly, the Monday night game, obviously Bengals at Jaguars. So I'm going back and forth on my phone, keeping up with those two games as I try to carry on a conversation with my wife across the table and with our wait person and trying to order. So what did I order? Ernestine said, hey, treat yourself. You could splurge a little. Yeah, well, so I love Mastro's crab cakes. I started with those. Not one, but two. Pretty hefty. And then I tried their tuna. That's just me. I'm not going to splurge with anything outside of salmon, tuna. Their tuna slices were to die for. The best tuna I've ever had, but that's just me. But that's not the splurge. Once upon a time, we had tried this when we took out from Mastro's. And so I said, okay, let's go for it again. We tried it once before because we heard it was to die for, if not to kill you for. It it could kill you. It's called lobster macaroni and cheese. Lobster mac and cheese on that menu was $40. And I said, let's go for it. And we did. That was my splurge. I took two full bites of lobster mac and cheese. And it was heavenly, but it's a lot of cheese. And I said, I'm good. Ernestine then took two bites of our mac and cheese and said, that's the best I've ever had. And then she was good. So we took four (laughs) bites of our $40 mac and cheese coming out to $10 per bite. And we decided it was fully worth it at $10 a bite. Fully worth it. Ernestine had also asked them to prepare some kind of dessert that I might take a bite of. Whatever, some sort of apple strudel sort of dish. I'm not sure what it was. And they tried. And I looked at it 
and it looks so loaded with butter to me, remember, you eat it, you wear it, I'm sorry, that we said, we're out of time, I got to get home, can we take it with us? And we did take it home, and I'm sorry, Mastro's, I didn't eat it. I didn't even try it. I didn't even take one bite of it because in the end, I worked too hard on my body to go destroy it for one night. It's just not worth it to me. But I did take two bites of lobster mac and cheese. I even took a bite of the lobster. The lobster was great too. That won't hurt you. Mac and cheese, yes. But I stayed right with those two games. When we finally left, I knew everything that had happened in Celtics at Pacers, and I was completely up to speed on Monday night football as we left Mastro's. Even on my birthday night, I didn't break those molds. I'm addicted to it because I love it and I live it. Forgive me, Ernestine. This is Leon from New Orleans. How soon do you put up a Christmas tree? This is a left turn. Look, Leon, I'm not a big fan of Christmas starts at Thanksgiving. I'm just not a big fan of that. To me, Christmas starts the week before Christmas. So that's when our tree goes up one week before Christmas. It's Christmas week. Yet how things have changed in our household since we brought home our quote-unquote daughter, Hazel, our now seven-year-old Maltese, the fiercest, sweetest Maltese this side of Malta. We found out with our big Christmas tree that we used to put up on the floor in the living room that Hazel would not be deterred. She was going to destroy everything on that tree once she turned about one years of age. She is the warrior princess. She'll listen to me on things that really matter, but on things like a Christmas tree, if she gets a shot, she's going to take it down. All the ornaments, all the balls. I'm sorry. Hazel's will be in attack mode. So we finally decided we can't leave her alone with the Christmas tree on the floor. So we got a smaller tree and we put it up on the counter. We have a bar in our living room area that we don't use. We don't drink. It's a beautiful bar, but kind of goes unused. So we put it up on the bar counter to keep it away from Hazel. And yet this question has reminded me of my fondest Christmas tree memory featuring Ernestine's mom, Evelyn. May she rest in peace. What I loved the most about Evelyn was she loved Christmas so much that every year she would put up her tree probably around Thanksgiving. And yet she would keep her tree up past Valentine's Day because she loved Christmas so much that the tree just made her feel good. I love that story. I love that the most about Evelyn. 
We miss you, Evelyn. I'm still convinced that Ernestine's mom, Evelyn, came back as our Maltese Hazel. I'm, I'm just convinced of that, but that's just me. Last question is from Marcus from North Carolina who says, when the Cowboys lose in the playoffs, will you give us a full eulogy like you're at a funeral? See our current commercial running on Fox and FS1. You know what, Marcus? I will provide the benediction when we lose in the Super Bowl to the Baltimore Ravens. Benediction, not eulogy, just the benediction to the season. I stand by and I love my Super Bowl prediction, my preseason Super Bowl prediction of Cowboys losing to Ravens. I loved what Jerry Jones said this week on his radio show when his host and interviewer mentioned to Jerry that, well, the 49ers are just a level above everybody else. Jerry responded, that may be clear to you, but it's not clear to me. I love Jerry for saying that because it's not clear to me that the 49ers are out of our league. I remind you again, we went to San Francisco last year for a playoff game against Brock Purdy and company, against that defense on their field. And my defense held that offense to 19 total points. Meanwhile, my offense managed only 12. You think today's Cowboy offense, if I could take it back in time, and put it on that field last January out in San Francisco in a playoff game? Do you think my offense, as you watch it right now, would score only 12? I think not. Do I think my defense could hold them to 19? I do. I do with all my heart and soul. Could we score 21, 24? Sure we could. Can we beat San Francisco in a playoff game even out there where we just lost in the regular season 42 to 10? You better believe we can. We're that explosive. We're that talented. To the point, I actually love it that we lost 42 to 10 in a regular season game. I love it. Let's go back to San Francisco. We've done it before. What did Jimmy and Jerry do? How did they first break through in 1992? They went out to San Francisco when nobody gave them a shot. It was Steve Young and Jerry Rice and that San Francisco defense. And Dallas did it. Did it to them because the truth was Dallas was just a little better. It was a lot younger, but it was a little better. And it showed you that day. It could win at Candlestick Park. They don't play there anymore, but it won at Candlestick Park to vault them into the Super Bowl in which they crushed the Buffalo Bills. My team is very different than what happened that night, 42 to 10. My team has arrived right before your very eyes. We will beat the Eagles. 36 to 20. And after we do, you'll hear me say, bring on the 49ers.
That's it for episode 91. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his All-Pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week. <laughs>